0: Electronic Intifada.
1: The Electronic Intifada.
0: This is the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman and you're listening to the Electronic Intifada podcast and we are experimenting with a brand new format for the podcast. I'm really excited to have my colleague of nearly 10 years, Asa Wynn stanley of the Electronic Intifada, joining me as co-host. Hi, Asa.
1: Hi, Nora. How are you?
0: I'm good. It's so good to hear your voice.
1: Yeah, likewise. Um, <laughs> 10 years, colleague of 10 years. Um,
0: yeah, it doesn't seem possible.
1: Let's just put a positive spin on that and say, you know, <laughs> it shows the vast amount of experience we have. Which is actually true. Like, well, there's no point in false modesty here. Come on. Like, we're good. (laughs) We do good stuff. (laughs) But yeah, good. I'm excited for this.
0: Me too. And I think, you know, we're going to bring exactly the same level of um, deep analysis and in-depth conversations about um, human rights issues in Palestine. And we're going to be hearing from um, wonderful guests who, you know, are doing uh, the work that, that EI has been known for, um, from, you know, analysts and journalists and activists, students, um, people who are putting Palestine on the map and, and making sure that this story gets the attention that it so deserves. So I'm excited to have you as co-host and, um, in, in a few minutes, uh, we're gonna go to an interview that you and I just recently did about one of your stories uh, that's been making the rounds in social media uh, about the manufactured crisis of anti-Semitism in the UK Labour Party. Um, but first, I wanted to see what stories have piqued your interest lately, either that we've published on EI or uh, elsewhere uh, in the media. Uh, what's been catching your attention lately?
1: Well, I read a story today um, from earlier in the month, actually, catching up with some stuff. Um, And I read a story by our colleague uh, Maureen um, about the Golan Heights. Uh, And the headline is, Republicans push recognition of Israeli annexation of the Golan. And this is a story about um, a small group of influential hard-right Republicans who have been calling for US legitimization uh, for the illegal Israeli occupation of the Golan Heights, which is a for people who don't know is a region in southern Syria which Israel has occupied since illegally since 1967. Um, I try and read all our stories about the Golan because it's a really it's a neglected story. Like Israel has occupied uh, a, a, a part of Syria for decades, um, and it, there's, there's a lot of similarities with Palestine. So Israel has ethnically cleansed Syrians from the Golan Heights and has built settlements. That, uh, they demolished Syrian villages in the Golan Heights um, and built uh, Jewish-only settlements on top of them. So... Um, this article uh, is about um, how uh, Ted Cruz, um, <laughs> one of the worst people in America, um, has is basically pushing for America to uh, recognize uh, the Golan occupation and to make it like to say, yeah, this is actually part of Israel, not Syria anymore.
0: To completely annex it.
1: Yeah, to completely annex yeah. it. So in 1981, Israel declared the Golan to be part of uh, to be part of its state, like which is some, a move that it hasn't made in the West Bank, because you know they don't have anything near a majority um, of the population there, and annexation would sort of imply giving citizenship, which they don't they don't want to do because there's too many. Too many palestinians in the west bank um the population the syrian population in the ghana heights um, because it was ethnically cleansed to a far greater degree um in terms of percentage of the population it it makes it uh, easier for them to sort of annex um so what ted cruz and these republicans are doing is trying to push for recognition push for like So it's like, to me, it's like a sign of how the Israel lobby effectively thinks it's captured the White House. Like, so Trump is the most pro-Israel president ever. Like, each president is more pro-Israel than the next. So it's... um, it's something that like with with um John Bolton in place as the national security advisor he's also incredibly zionist so like
0: and now with Elliot Abrams back back in power Elliot Abrams who uh who helped um usher in uh you know dictatorships and 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 allies of of US um imperialist hegemony all over the world including in Palestine um he's he's back uh working for the Trump administration's goals in Latin America.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like um, all the worst people from the Bush era. Yeah. Um, and going even further back are just sort of back, basically. So, uh, yeah, that's what I was looking at. Um, what have you been looking at this week, Nora?
0: Well, um, we we haven't published anything on this yet, but but definitely forthcoming. Um, I've been watching closely the, what's happening in the Senate. Uh, Marco Rubio, who's the Republican senator from Florida, he was uh, pushing for a the first bill of the the, the, um, the reopened government to, to basically protect states uh, in punishing supporters of the BDS movement, boycott divestment and sanctions. Um, unfortunately, on Monday night that, um, his bill, after being defeated three times in January during the shutdown, the bill was passed. Uh, it, it passed a motion of cloture, which means that it then gets to have a full debate in the Senate. And then if it passes there, um, goes to the House. And if it passes the House, it becomes law. So um, I've been watching that very carefully. But while that has been going on, there is a brand new group in the Democratic Party um, who have been who have formed um, in order to combat what they see as a uh, dissociation with um, kind of party line um, affiliation with Israel all these years? Yeah,
1: um, they're, um, they're, they're yeah. This bill you you uh, talking about is a bill that would effectively uh, outlaw BDS in the US. Uh, is is that a is that a fair sort of summary of? Um, so was, there's two
0: different. There's two different bills. The one that um, seeks to really criminalize and even inflict prison sentences on supporters um, of the boycott campaign has been um, kind of stalled uh, in the Senate so far. That's the Israel Anti-Boycott Act that was proposed by Democratic Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland. Um, But this one, Marco Rubio's bill, uh, really just does the job of protecting states. There have been 26 states so far, that have passed these anti-boycott measures, um, and so Rubio's bill would protect those states in upholding punishments against supporters of the boycott. So, you know, whatever states decide to do, if they decide to, to out, you know, outlaw BDS activism and campaigning, or to just levy fines and punishments against um, supporters of the boycott then uh, then it would be the state's rights to do so, and they would be further protected against any sort of, um, you know, courts. Um, or. And, and these laws, of course, have been challenged in federal courts. So far, uh, Kansas and Arizona, the laws there have been blocked by federal courts. There's been another um, challenge to the the state law in Texas, um, and we're seeing another one in Maryland, actually, Ben Cardin State um a, a lot there being challenged so yeah that's, so
1: yeah. state rights, state's rights is uh something <laughs> it's quite resident and quite apt really isn't it
0: yeah it Into really the, hasn't gone away yeah <laughs> right.
1: so this new group then what is it called and what uh, so this what's new it about? group
0: they're calling themselves the democratic majority for israel dmi the democratic majority for israel there new york times on monday um said that, uh, quote, with polls showing that liberals and younger voters are increasingly less sympathetic to Israel and a handful of vocal supporters of Palestinian rights arriving in Congress, uh, the new group, the Democratic Majority for Israel, is planning to wage a campaign to remind elected officials about what they call the party's shared values and interests with one of America's strongest allies. And there's a bunch of, like, you know, bemoaning of of um, new Democratic uh, congressional representatives such as Ilhan Omar and uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Rashida Tlaib, who have um, either pledged their support of the right to boycott or have um, definitely upheld, you know, their beliefs in in that the U.S. government shouldn't interfere in in people's um, political opinions. So. Uh it's I I thought that you had a really interesting take um when we were talking offline earlier today about about what even the the branding of this Democratic Majority for Israel means. Um tell us what your take was. Yeah,
1: I I mean that. I thought that um it's uh, I mean it's obviously it's propaganda. It's pro Israel propaganda, but it's yeah. like it's really shit propaganda too because like they're saying that um their point is oh we need to argue for a democratic majority for Israel so then they they're starting off on the back foot like they <laughs> they they're starting off straight away admitting that there's no democratic majority for Israel like at least at the grassroots so that they they're starting off saying well we 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 we're trying to argue for the democratic majority for Israel so what like it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's. I mean, I suppose we should welcome this, really. Like it's. Uh, this I mean, it really
0: shows also the desperation um, that Israel lobby groups who are financing these these uh, these representatives are are going to. You know, like there there's a lot of panic and disarray. Mm. Um, by these, you know, kind of long held lobby organizations like APAC and, and the ADL and, um, and the, the American Jewish Committee, who are uh, in secret memos, they are, they're really crestfallen, that their narrative, that their propaganda efforts are, are not being taken seriously anymore, because yeah. people have more information than ever before about what Israel has been doing to Palestinians.
1: Yeah, and it sort of, it reminds me of um, Labour Friends of Israel in the UK. That, that, um, I mean, there's differences as well, because Labour Friends of Israel is a long-standing group. Um, but, like, it's just, if it shapes up the same way, it'll kind of be a front organisation to funnel uh, pro-Israel money into the Democratic Party, like has been right. done in, in the Labour Party over here to essentially to try and interfere to, to, as a way for Israel to kind of interfere in elections overseas. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, it's something that, um, I don't know, I, I don't think it's gonna have a lot of success, to be honest, like beyond, beyond what they already have, I think it kind of is in danger of backfiring from their point of view. Um, right. But I guess we'll, we'll see. We'll see how yeah, works. I'll
0: be keeping a close eye on uh, DMI the democratic majority for Israel, um, to see exactly who jumps on board and um, which lobby organizations um, hold their hand, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be interesting and and probably pretty nauseating as well.
1: Yeah, most definitely.
0: (laughs) Well, um, let's uh, let's go to a quick music break, and when we come back, Asa, I will interview you about your uh, recent story on the, as I said, the manufactured crisis of anti-Semitism in the UK Labour Party. We'll be right back. Go down, Sandy. Go down, Sandy.
1: Go down. Fight the struggle in our spirit, we all go down. Fight the hatred in our fashion, we all go down.
0: Yourself out. So Asa, over the past a few days, you've published a story that uh, is titled Fake Labor Accounts Fueling Anti-Semitism Crisis, in scare quotes. Um, tell us a little bit about the background to this story and what you found and the significance of those findings
1: yeah i found a a lot of bad things like honestly researching this story was sort of really diving into the sewer um and it's kind of the tip of the iceberg as well so essentially what i found was this network of twitter accounts which are fake like they use fake photos um and fake names, and they just generally look fake. They have fake followers as well. They look like they're bought followers potentially, um, not that many followers, uh, but like just enough to make them, you know, superficially look like maybe they're just somebody's new Twitter account or something like that. But when you dive into it, it's pretty clear that they're fake. Um, and they claim to be Labour Party supporters, Labour Party activists. Um, some of them claim to be Muslims. Some of them claim to be just sort of quite stereotypical um, leftists, you know, um, and stereotypical Muslim sort of extremists, um, some of them. Um, So they, ostensibly, they're Labour Party sort of people. Some of them even claim to be Labour Party staffers or former Labour Party staffers. Um, But what they are posting is really sort of virulent anti-Semitism. You know, there's, there's not really any ambiguity to it at all you know it's not even like oh someone's gone a bit far there Um, it's just really horrible horrible stuff like real uh, open uh, violent incitement um, in some cases uh, mostly targeting Jews Um, and these accounts then um, target uh, high profile Twitter users um, mostly Labour Party uh, verified accounts like Jeremy Corbyn, John McDonnell um, and uh, all Israeli like uh, Israeli accounts or pro-Israeli accounts so like on the profiles they look superficially quite often they look okay they're just sort of retweeting a few uh, Jeremy Corbyn things or just sort of like like a normal Labour activist would but then so if you check the replies if you look at tweets and replies, that's where most of the horrible stuff is. Um, and so then what that means is that if you um look at the replies, so say if someone it wants to sort of discredit Jeremy Corbyn, they'll look at his replies when he's talking about something, and he'll then they'll then find an anti-Semitic comment by one of these fake accounts. So then what they can say is, Well, look at this horrible anti-Semitic thing from Jeremy Corbyn's followers. And there's several instances over the last few years where in this particular troll network, that has happened. Um, and uh, one of the most recent ones um, was um, on the day of um, the the Pittsburgh massacre, um, where 11 Jewish uh, worshippers were murdered by this neo-Nazi. Um, one of these troll accounts um, went to... Benjamin Netanyahu's Twitter account, the Prime Minister of Israel, um, and when Netanyahu mentioned the Pittsburgh attack, um, this account wrote, you brought this on yourselves. So it's just very horrible, vile anti-Semitism. And it was then drawn attention to by right-wing Labour MPs saying this person's membership is incompatible with the Labour Party. There's no actual evidence that this person even existed; that it was a re- even a real name. The photo was certainly stolen um, from a local news report, and the person who um, whose photo it was then, you know, rent, had to sort of do damage control for them, really, and went around on Twitter saying, like, "Look, this—I'm not this person. That's not my name. But they've stolen my photo. You know, I don't agree with those sentiments." So they are, this this poor person—it was a young, sort of, twenty-one-year-old, um, I think. Uh, Young uh, student or postgraduate—I'm not sure—someone fairly young, but they're then having to go around almost apologising for the most vile anti-Semitism, which has actually nothing to do with them. Um, so you know these accounts more often than not they're then sort of suspended by Twitter, but they, they just open new ones. So it's um, it's a cesspit, and so like I said, I I I I, I researched in quite considerable detail over the course of months. Um, 10 of these accounts, but there was more. There was actually others, but at a certain point, I just had to stop because the spreadsheet was really time-consuming and and it was just really sort of horrible as well, actually. You know, it was not really... Yeah. It was really sort of sewerage work. Um, yeah, that's the essence of the story.
0: And this ties in directly to the kinds of smear campaigns that especially Israel lobby groups and activists in the UK um, have been waging against Jeremy Corbyn and, and um, you know pro-Palestine, anti-Zionist um, members of the Labour Party, but also just regular folks in, in the UK um, who don't agree with Israel's policies. Um, can you talk a little bit about the background context here? How, um, how these campaigns have been waged over the last couple of years and what kinds of trends you've been spotting?
1: Yeah, that's completely true. Like I, I. So what we've said in the article is we haven't made any claim of who is behind these accounts because we don't know for certain. Okay, so we can't. It's it's the kind of thing that'd be really hard to prove without any kind of like court case or if this whoever this person or persons was arrested in some way, or you know charged, um, then you could get some sort of evidence of who's who was behind it, um, uh, as uh, happened in. Uh, Sort of similar case where in the US, where that um, there was that Israeli teen who was um, arrested for. uh,
0: Oh yeah, he called in a bunch of bomb threats. That's right. I
1: mean, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I mean, that seems to be the case of a disturbed individual rather than anything else, as far as we know. Um, uh, But at least in that case, you know, there was some sort of court record there where you could kind of say, "Well, this is the person who did it." In this case, we don't know. Like Twitter probably knows more, Um, uh, so we don't know for sure. But having said that, I mean, as you said, like it, it, there's a pattern that it clearly uh, fits into. So the Israeli government has been like actively involved over the last few years in like um, in really a a sabotage campaign against Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and you know the, the, it's, it fits into their wider sabotage campaign against the BDS movement and Palestine solidarity movement generally. Um, and uh, and I've also mentioned the Integrity Initiative in the article as another covert campaign, a, a British government campaign, British uh, with close associations with British military intelligence. Um, so um it, it, like i mean just speaking for myself like the, my instinct was when i when i when i realized these were like a pattern of these accounts being made um after the Squawk boxes- re- reports um and, and I saw some accounts that the Squawk box was uh, had, had reported about this um left wing labor blog in the u k um they did some good reporting um and they mentioned th- and I realised the the accounts that the, these troll accounts they were bringing up were extremely similar to one I'd seen earlier in the year, last year. And I realised there was a pattern there. Um, to me, like, the fact that some of these accounts were pretending to be Muslims and, and, and a sort of, like, stereotype of, you know, Muslim terrorists, Muslim extremists, um, and how they're trying to portray an image of them as all as Muslims as all sort of virulently anti-Semitism. I mean, that's such an Israeli thing to do. Like it's such a it's such a typically Israeli government thing to do. Like you know, like it just uh, reminds me of how they infiltrate Palestinian demonstrations um, so that they can arrest Palestinian, you know, what they see as Palestinian ring leaders or whatever, um, and disguising themselves as uh, as Arabs. And these accounts just had really kind of stupid names like Abu Hussein, and, um, you know. One of, the, one of the accounts stole the photo of the brother of one of the main Muslim Brotherhood's main leaders um, or main ideologues. <laughs> so Saeed Qutb was one of the original um, ideologues of the Muslim Brotherhood. And one of these accounts uses his brother's profile photo. So there's almost like I don't know. You can kind of, and another one of them was just taken from a Daily Mail story about um, an alleged ISIS, um, you know, terrorist who had been out to Syria or whatever I, I think, and had been convicted with some material support for ISIS. So it's just like it's either, and, and another one they're supposed to be a leftist has just got a, a a beard, you know, it's supposed to look sort of like a hipster kind of thing. Right. Um, so it's kind of ridiculous in a way. So it's kind of ridiculous and laughable, but the stuff they're coming up with is really vile stuff. Um,
0: Right. Right. And it does real damage. Um, Have you been able to assess what kind of impact this has had on Jeremy Corbyn's campaign or the Labour Party or, you know, Palestine solidarity groups in the UK?
1: Like it's definitely, these have, I mean, I, I detail in the article, like, um, Specific ways that this particular network fed into key moments. It's not that they had like a lot of followers, but they were um, so. It is different from some of the Israeli uh, social media covert influence campaigns. Whereas some of the Israel projects um, Facebook groups had some postings, you know, at least one or two postings that I saw that had that ran into tens of billions of views. This is a a different, far different magnitude than that. It's more about disruption and discrediting. Rather than influencing per se, um, but it, it has an influence on the debate because then it's sort of magnified by pro-Israel and pro uh, and 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 uh, right-wing anti-Jeremy Corbyn forces within the Labour Party, um, and they're saying, "Look how terrible this is," kind of thing. And this is these are the extremists that now want to run the Labour Party. This is what what has become of the Labour Party, or this kind of stuff. Um right. And that's definitely fed into this whole narrative of, an, of a so-called anti-Semitism crisis or even what they're saying is that the Labour Party is institutionally anti-Semitic. Um, that whole narrative has had a massive effect on the Labour Party. It perhaps hasn't had as much of an effect as they would want it, wanted it to. Um, I, to me, one of the main goals has been to actually demoralise the grassroots because the strength of Corbynism to me, and I think that you see this in the most credible analyses of Corbyn Cor- and Corbynism, is the strength of it is actually the movement, that it was it's not so much about Jeremy Corbyn as a person himself, as like a popular movement behind him, that people realise that actually, you know Parliament is sort of it's kind of shit. so <laughs> like <laughs> um, but seriously, like it's, it's, it's only part of it and like the right. the, the, the reason there was such a grassroots movement behind Jeremy Corbyn was because that he's kind of different to a lot of politicians, although, you know, he has his own weaknesses and everything. Um, but it, there was, um, he was already in these movements, so people knew him. And the Palestine movement, the Palestine Solidarity Movement was one of those movements. So people were prepared to back him because they saw him as, like, coming from the movement so he could be our representative in government. Um right. So like the, the goal of this narrative to me has been to demoralize that movement and to divide it against itself. Um, and it's had, definitely had success in that respect. Like it's really become a really rancorous thing. Um, so it's had, it hasn't had maximum effect. So the, the grassroots of the Labour Party, actual Labour Party members don't, don't believe it. Like polling shows that, that they actually don't accept this narrative
0: and Corbin continues to soar in popularity at least according to people that i uh trust uh you know on 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 twitter and and in the media it's it's like um you know the more popular he gets um you know the the more kind of desperate and and panicked the israel lobby and and activists associated with it are getting
1: yeah i think so like i mean i i think that um these attacks all have the like, have all kind of rebounded you know like it's it's made so um during the general election um in 2017 um the sun newspaper which i mean i guess the closest american equivalent might be the new york post or something like that like just a really <laughs> horrible uh, a rag yeah, call it. yeah a really nasty <laughs> right-wing rag the most the sp- probably the worst newspaper in this country and, and with, you know, a crowded field um, the Sun <laughs> newspaper, just the most racist horrible yeah. Murdoch, you know piece of toilet paper like, it, it had the front page on election day and it was literally a sort of, car, like I don't know like a photoshopped thing of a bin with Jeremy Corbyn in the bin and the headline was Corbyn like, don't vote for Corbyn, ha 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 And so clever. Yeah. Right. And (laughs) and then the 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 sort of subheads were something like, you know, it was quite a famous uh, headline. It was something like uh, Marxist extremist, you know, friends with Hamas, IRA sympathizer, um, you know, put him in the bin, something like that. And it just it seemed to have the opposite effect, like on actual voters. And um, despite like actual years of um, media propaganda just vilifying him. Um, it was really a moral victory to me, the election. Like, it wasn't an outright victory. Obviously, you know, he didn't become prime minister, but considering he was, like, projected to be wiped out and he was, like, I don't know, just ridiculous amounts behind in the polls at the outset, um, the election victory was actually a... The the election result was actually a stunning success. Like, it denied um, Theresa May an outright majority, um, and it, it reduced... Uh, it reduced and she her, her her representation the Conservative Party's representation in Parliament. Where the whole point of her calling the election was to try and um, uh, really deal a blow to the Labour Party. So yeah, they, it, the, these things like mostly have a like a, a real ricochet effect, and people it has the effect of like people pay attention. It's sort of the no, no publicity is bad publicity to an extent. Um, it brings Corbyn's name up, and it makes him a kind of outsider, so that there is a kind of Trump effect there, except he sort of uses his powers for good instead of evil, obviously. Um, uh, so that, like, um, yeah, people are oh, this Jeremy Corbyn, and then people would see when it, what his policies are, policies that are actually popular, you know, so they're just, they're not, they're, this is the thing, they're trying to make him out as this Marxist extremist, um, and, like, we might wish he was, but he's not, like, so, like, it's just things like national, it, things that used to be actually the right wing of the Labour Party in this country, or even like some conservative governments like in the 70s would have supported um, of just having, you know, national, basic national infrastructure, really is what his policies are. Um, and um, it's popular. So people, when people see it actually articulated properly, they support it. Um, but the anti-Semitism thing, has just kept coming back because um to me uh the reason that it's kept coming back is that it's it 's driven like it's a it 's a narrative that 's driven because it's it's had an effect it does have a demoralizing effect on people because people I' oh, was just talking to uh yeah you know another, another labor activist today and it 's just like oh no this again you know and it 's not that there 's any substance to it um not that there's no anti-Semitism at all, because of course it exists in the Labour Party, as it exists in society, Um, uh, but all the actual figures from facts show that levels of anti-Semitism are lower in the Labour Party than in in any other party. Um, uh, But this whole narrative of crisis is really invented. It's invented, you know. it's exaggerated, and it's outright fabricated in many cases. And this is to me is like the most frustrating thing of reporting on this over the last few years is that like people are just like, "Oh, the anti-Semitism crisis," and it just literally the first headlines about it were literally just invented like it was uh, and there's been no no accounting for that at all and that to me, that should be the starting point, really, and I think even a lot of people on the left in this country like sort of forget that.
0: Yeah, and and it it kind of points to this this divide between what the politicians feel like they have to address and what is actually happening on the ground yeah. in reality, and what regular people um, believe. I mean, there's it, it happens here, of course, in the U.S. too, where these politicians cry anti-Semitism. When really, what it is is just a code word for being mean to Israel, or any sort of criticism of Israel is is now framed in this in this um, very blanketed context of of anti-Semitism, which of course is a time tested method of distraction, um, you know, fomented by Israel, of course, and its lobby groups. Um, how serious do you think people, not politicians, are? Uh, taking the, these, this so-called crisis, this manufactured crisis of anti-Semitism in the UK?
1: Um, I That's um, a good question. Um, and it's something that I actually want to look into a bit more. Um, I think as far as I've seen, there's only been one recent poll actually about the population's opinion of the so-called anti-Semitism crisis in the Labour Party. Um, I, I believe, I may be wrong on this, but I think it was commissioned by the Jewish Chronicle, which is um, it wasn't always, but it's an, it's now an incredibly right-wing uh, pro-Zionist newspaper. Um, I think it was commissioned by the Jewish Chronicle, so from that extent, I would take it with a pinch of salt. But it, it did, I, I believe it had a plurality of people who um, believed there was some sort of issue in the Labour Party there. Um, but I mean, it's something I need to look at a bit more closely. But in terms of the polling for the Labour Party membership itself, it's it's I mean, it's rejected. Like most people sort of say that, you know, yes, there's anti-Semitism, but it's it's wrong to say it's any higher in the Labour Party than any other party, um, and it's it's broadly rejected. Um, and I think I mean, just anecdotally, and my impression in general is just, is just that people are just kind of just general in terms of general population people are just kind of bored by it really and just sort of thinking that what is this and confused as well because the thing is as well that it does it is is a really damaging thing and it it is is actually a damaging thing to um real principled anti-racism and to fight uh, the fight against actual anti-semitism because people then do get Israel and Jew- Jews and Jewish people, Jewish communities conflated together, you know. That's right. And um, if Israel sort of presents itself as what it called, you know, what Netanyahu once called, you know, didn't he call himself like the prime minister of the Jewish people in France? Like, yes, a few he did. Years the, ago? the
0: leader of the Jewish people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, what a f***ing <laughs> cheek. Like, who? I mean... <laughs> I mean, if you know, if I was Jewish, I would think like I didn't vote for you, you know, sort of thing. Um, and,
0: yeah, I never got a ballot on that one.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> like it's it's despicable, like it, it it's laughable, but it's also like really it is really damaging because like people do think, oh well, you know that it, it becomes conflated, you know, and to 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 um, a greater extent even that like. I mean, I suppose people do com- conflate to a certain extent Muslims with, you know, despotic states like Saudi Arabia or, you know. so And so there is like Islamophobia where people um, are sort of confused and, and think that like, I don't know, these Saudi princes who are just like the worst people in the world um, sort of represent true Islam or like that muslims support isis there there was again the sun a few years ago had this horrible like really fake news headline where they said that most muslims in the uk support isis i was just it was complete nonsense like it was just rubbish it was a load of rubbish um when you actually looked at the figures um but i i i think with israel it's far greater actually the conflation um and that and like that that's a really negative thing and like the main culprit for the main responsibility of that lies with Israel because they present themselves as the so-called Jewish state, you know. And we don't accept that for ISIS, like that they are the Islamic state. Like, why should we accept it for? Why do we accept it for Israel? And yes, I am comparing ISIS to Israel.
0: <laughs> um, Asa, you. Uh mentioned a, a few minutes ago the Israel project and the way that these uh, uh, you know mostly online um campaigns run um covertly and overtly to insert Israel's narrative or to discredit you know politicians who say that Palestinians shockingly should deserve equal rights um the Israel project of course was was a main focus of the Al Jazeera investigation the lobby USA can you talk a little bit about um, how your investigation with with the the so-called labor anti-Semitism crisis um, merges with with these patterns that you're seeing by these covert Israel lobbyists um, running these social media campaigns and and really how the 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 revelations in in that Al Jazeera investigative documentary continue to kind of put pieces into place here when we're looking at the whole picture
1: yeah so that's kind of a big question then or um (laughs) um, i think sorry (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean it's it all ties together like this is the thing like so the the israel project is it's an israeli i mean it's an ostensibly american pro-israeli propaganda organization which just pumps out basically you know, laughable drivel on how great Israel is and uh, just stupid memes and things like that. Um, but what the what, um, the Lobby USA, Al Jazeera's um, censored documentary showed um, was that they were involved in this covert campaign to influence uh, Facebook users um, to... So what they did was they set up a bunch of Facebook pages which posted there, um, uh, which uh, on the surface had nothing to do with Israel they were just stupid things about um just like some pink sort of page like,
0: like uh, donuts ste- and yeah, yeah just like <laughs>
1: ostensibly liberal feminism um but just right. like hey look how great women are sort of thing um and but then just like 25% of it they sneak in like oh golda meir she was girl power you know 50 years ago Uh, just nonsense like that basically and uh and it has you know no doubt it had an effect i mean i can i just go off on like a side tangent rant here please like i've been waiting really annoys me about like some left there's some leftists like who really are really down on the term the israel lobby okay and um it actually really annoys me. Like, okay, I get, like, the critiques of Walton Mayshamah and all this stuff. Okay, you know, I understand there's there's limits to uh, the term Israel lobby. You know, I get that. But, like, there seems to be, like, a move afoot to, like, just basically ban that term, and it actually really annoys me because, like, it, it's 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 a simple two-word term which accurately describes what they do. They, I mean... There's, you know, cigarette lobby. Why wouldn't there be an Israel lobby? And like, yeah, okay, maybe it doesn't. It yeah, it definitely doesn't have as much power as it claims to. Like, uh, it's not as influ. It, it propagandizes itself. It says, oh, you know it tries to portray itself as like this all-powerful thing, the Israel lobby. It, that's that's how it's trying to present itself. Like, it's it's in the interest of every lobby to do that, okay? But like, to say like they don't have an influence is stupid. It's like putting your fingers in your ears and say, oh. It it's kind of a hippie-ish argument, if you ask me. It's like sort of hippies who say, oh, well, adverts don't influence me, you know, sort of thing. And, uh, well, it, they wouldn't put billions of dollars into advertising if it didn't have any effect, you know what I mean? So at the same time, the Israel lobby has an effect. Like, of course it does. Like, it, it, would, it they wouldn't pour all these millions into it if it didn't, you know. Like, Sheldon Adelson is is going to demand, like, certain results for all the, you know, so like, yeah, he
0: didn't just pour 50 million of his own money into nothing. Yeah. 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 yeah there's mean, a little bit of quid pro quo
1: there. Yeah, exactly. Like so yeah, they don't, I mean, uh, you know, there's two sides to it. Like it's they're not uh, at the same time they quite often admit how they, are you know, they're kind of wasting their money and they're not getting the results that they want. Um but it does have an effect. Like so so like in the in the case of the Israel project, like as I mentioned a bit earlier, they um there was some of these pages. Uh, I think one. I think it was from one of the pages, which was about history. Just like, oh, this day on history, so so such such a thing happened, um, and uh, it was some video, and it was about Jerusalem, uh, and it got I think ten million views or something. You know, and so it, this was going around, and it and that one was actually about um, Jerusalem and how suppo- I think it was about how Unruh, uh, not not UNRWA UNESCO the the UN um, cultural agency you know is supposedly was supposedly trying to wipe out the Jewish connection to Jerusalem and all the, and uh, you know so they they what well, they they what they did with these pages and what they're still doing because despite us exposing it and Al Jazeera uh, you know when we leaked Al Jazeera's documentary um, Facebook has refused to take action against these pages so they're still doing these kinds of things. Um, they're infiltrating a pro-Israel narrative into like these seemingly innocuous pages. And actually when I looked at some of these pages, I did see some of my Facebook friends had liked these pages, just thinking, oh, you know, you just you just you know, just like a silly thing you follow online, not realising what it actually was. So um that's uh that's what the the kind of things that they're up to. Um and there's a lot in there was a lot in those films, and I think they um Are hugely significant, and they can. They, uh, I think, there's a lot still to me that needs to come out of the the U.S. one in particular.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I feel like they just kind of hit the tip of the iceberg there, and it was just four hours, but those four hours were a lot, and it was a start. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like we still
1: haven't processed it ourselves because we were like so busy trying to leak it and leaking it that. We ha- probably yeah. haven't like covered it to the extent that we covered the the UK one because Al Jazeera actually right. managed to release that one themselves, um, but it will. I mean, the the UK one has been since it was aired. It was two years ago now. Wow, um, it's been like a constant resource for me personally in in my reporting, and I know it's been for others as well. So I think the US one will be that as well.
0: So all of this evidence has come out. Um, your investigative report is making the rounds on social media. Has there been any response by Corbyn's office or any other members of the Labour Party? Um, you end your, your piece with, with this great... Sentence When the dominant media narrative is so often based on fabricated evidence, a serious reappraisal and extreme caution about future claims are overdue. Um, do you feel like that is there is going to be some sort of appraisal of these of these claims and some sort of um, party line that that labor should make about uh, these these false accusations and this and this really concerted effort to to, to tear labor apart
1: right now uh no in a word (laughs) it's not gonna happen i don't see like it's like i've just been plugging away at it like for well we're in uh, 2019 now four years i suppose three and a half years uh yeah i mean I, i i don't see it happening unfortunately sad to say like i mean it's not believed by the people but the politicians either believe it or at least like they have to give lip service to it this is the thing even when they don't believe it it's like they can't say it publicly because they're afraid of being targeted and singled out themselves because the crisis and like the witch hunt is so um It's in such a frenzy that like even to say, well, actually, it's not happening or it's exaggerated or even to ask for evidence that in itself is singled out as an example of anti-Semitism. So if you just say like, oh, well, I don't believe that Labour's an institutionally anti-Semitic party. You'll get people, right wing Labour Party councillors, uh, right wing, uh, you'll get JLM, Jewish Labour Movement, which is a very incredibly pro-Israel group. Um, people on Twitter trying to start up a like a Twitter storm that will get the attention of blue tick journalists. Um, say, oh, the Labour Party anti-Semitism crisis has come back, and it what they do is a bit like wolves or hyenas singling someone out from the pack because they then pounce on them and they try and isolate people, pick them off one by one, so they get suspended from the Labour Party, and people are terrified of that, you know, especially people who've been in it for a long time or they've got you know if they're a, you know a left-wing Labour council or a left-wing Labour MP they keep their heads down and they don't say anything you know there's one or two people like uh, Chris Williamson who who have actually said you know this is exaggerated you know it's it's um he, he said I'm not saying it never happens but it's just a it's it's a really nasty sort of uh, dirty tricks campaign and then they're trying to single him out you know and trying to go for him trying to trying to manufacture a sort of outrage where it it, it, which hunt is the most appropriate description of it because it's just like it's there in the media and it reaches a a thing where it's just at certain points it's reached a stage of being in headlines every day where people can't stand up to it and people then at the top uh, and it goes unfortunately it does go all the way to Jeremy Corbyn's office where they, where there's this dynamic where they just think, oh well, we've got to think of the greater movement, so they don't they don't think of it in this way. But we'll just throw them under the bus, basically. Oh, we can sacrifice one or two people. Oh, you know, if they just sort of get suspended now, we can bring them back later, kind of thing. When there's been a hearing, but and and that kind of, di- and you can you can see the temptation of that. Um, but that dynamic has only like fueled this whole thing, where instead of saying, well, actually, where's the evidence for this? It's just accepted as, ah, well, you know, there's no smoke without fire kind of thing. Uh, and uh, like the very beginnings of it in Oxford University Labour Club were an outright fabrication. It was literally a right wing uh, pro-Israel student uh, who were, later left the Labour Party and joined the Lib Dems, who was saying, oh, well, look, they, the, Labour, the student Labour Club is endorsing Israeli Apartheid Week. That is anti-Semitism you know and that that's where it all came from that's that's that was the origins of it you know that was the first example of uh, accusations of institutional antisemitism so called institutional antisemitism that's the evidence it's no evidence at all you know it's it's, it's 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 actually evidence of a campaign of fabrication and defamation is what it is and people are unfortunately um quite often too afraid to say that even though they more often than not know it's the truth people on the left anyway um So, no, unfortunately, unless there's like um, a change of strategy uh, from the leadership's office where they say, well, actually, we're going to just start calling this out for what it is. Um, I don't see it. I I just see it coming back and back time and time again, because it has a degree of effectiveness in sabotaging the movement.
0: If uh, if you could sit down with Jeremy Corbyn again, I know you did a few years ago. Yeah. um, What advice would you give him right now? Like,
1: stand up to them, like, stop, stop capitulating. Like, because it, look at, okay, so you it, make the, if you're making the argument that say, oh, well, you know, we can't let this one issue d- derail everything else. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, I can see that argument, right? But what has been the record of that for three and a half years? What has been the record of that? Has it, has it, you know, has, uh, has, conceding to them made them stop these false allegations no it's had the opposite effect it just keeps coming back time and time again and it's like aside from all those sort of pragmatic arguments like this print this is the wrong thing to do like why why are you just um allowing people to be sort of thrown under the bus where um they've maybe people have said people like ken livingston maybe uh, you know, they didn't say the most politic things, but nothing Ken Livingston said to me was anti-Semitic. Um, he was talking about um, uh, the historical connections between the German Zionist movement in the 1930s and Nazi government. Like, it happened. It's a historical fact. Like, uh, Ken Livingston, you know, why, why should he have been expelled from the Labour Party for saying a fact, even if it was an inconvenient fact? Um, and he wasn't expelled in the end. He quit, but you know, it's it's really it was a, it was a sad indictment of a movement, really, to me. Um, but I uh, uh, I guess my my main advice to Jeremy Corbyn would be like, yeah, stand up to them. Like, it's, there's no other way out of it. You've got to knock it on the head.
0: Asa, uh, your Uh, report is called fake labor accounts fueling anti-semitism crisis it's up now on the electronic intifada electronicintifada.net we'll be back in a minute stay tuned Well, asa thank you so much for that um and again if people want to learn more about your report they can go to ei of course the dot net. the piece is fake labor accounts fueling anti-semitism crisis by asa win stanley asa thank you so much this is going to be really fun going forward having you as co-host on the ei podcast
1: yeah i'm excited
0: And, uh, of course, uh, you can support us on iTunes, or now it's called Apple Podcasts. Uh, Just search for the Electronic Intifada. Leave us a five-star review, of course.
1: Donate to electronicintifada.net.
0: That's right. Electronicintifada.net. Asa, thank you so much. that's it for the electronic intifada podcast thanks to sharif Zakut, our music maker and production assistant for news information cultural features and reviews and pointed opinion and analysis visit us online at electronicintifada.net where you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, support The Electronic Intifada by rating it and leaving a review. On behalf of all of us at The Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening.